0: Welcome to In the Arena, a show where entrepreneurs and leaders take us behind the headlines and into the biggest crises of their careers and lives, and how they made it to the other side. I'm Jesse Janais, a startup founder and your host. Today on In the Arena, Eric and I are with Ryan Kaldbeck, a tech founder who has taken great personal risk to make it clear for the rest of us that mental health, personal life, kids, and even investor issues should not be off limits for public discussion. He was the founder and CEO of CircleUp, a novel lending platform which raised over 50 million in venture during his tenure. Known especially for his thought-provoking long-form Twitter threads, Ryan goes even deeper with us today, giving us insight into the day-to-day experience of seemingly impossible tasks, like replacing himself as CEO and balancing cancer with startup leadership.
1: I was terrified because we just did not understand what was driving the growth. The growth was just happening. And that, to to some people that have, like, never run a company before, been responsible for growth, like, that sounds like a humble brag, and I swear it is not. It is is absolutely terrifying. Because you know that as soon as it stops, you don't understand the levers to make it start again. Mm -hmm. And that is, like, You know, every single night I go to bed and barely sleep.
0: I'm personally in awe of Ryan's ability not just to be vulnerable, although that's impressive, but to have enough self-awareness and intellect to parse his own difficult experiences into useful, go-forward knowledge. It's just really rare. So, let's jump in.
2: We are joined today by a very special entrepreneur who has been in the arena quite a bit over the past decade, Ryan Kaldbeck. Uh Ryan, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've uh, yeah. I've benefited from your wisdom and advice over the over the past few years and excited to share it with our audience. Well, I'm I'm really excited to be here and I'm a huge fan of, uh, of what you've been doing,
1: Eric. So thank you for taking the time. You too, Jesse.
0: Yeah. So we'll jump you right in. I'm sure many people listening know that you've shared uh, a lot online. Many entrepreneurs have benefited uh, from your transparency. You have a thread uh, where you go into some really amazing detail about the the decisions and pressures you're under leading up to a pivot at CircleUp. But the moment that I'd like you to try to remember, if you can, is actually not like, when did you decide to pivot? Or when did you write this thread? Et cetera. It's like there's a moment, I'm guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, where things are so broken feeling that you decide personally that it's like pivot or die, like pivot or bust. Like th- there's like some like kind of low point <laughs> where you're like, I think that there, I, I have to make a change. So the the aha moment of figuring out what to change is a little bit less interesting to me than like where the rubber really meets the road as an entrepreneur. And you're like, I can't keep going this way. Like, like something has to actually change for the business. I'd love you if you can to try to pinpoint for us when you knew personally that a change had to occur.
1: Yeah, it is such a good question, Jesse. And I, uh, as you were asking that, you can't see, but I'm getting like kind of shaking <laughs> oh. a little bit because it is like, I feel so much shame about the answer to that question. So it's a really good question and I want to answer it because yeah. I wish that I had had similar content I guess to look at uh, when I was going through it. Um so the reason I feel shame about it is is not because of the pivot, although I don't feel good about the pivot. Um but it's more because it took me just an embarrassingly long time to get there. You know, I talked about this publicly but just like it is so hard I to, to like, just admit, even though I've done it publicly, like, I spent months making Mm. a decision that anyone listening, if I laid out the facts, would have said, make the change. And I just, it wasn't that I was refusing to. It wasn't that I was trying to figure it out. It was that I was stuck not making a decision and stuck quite literally going into conference rooms and without exaggeration, watching YouTube videos, I was trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to escape, like, actually thinking about the decision. Yeah. Because I didn't know what to do. And I felt lost. It was several months of that. And I think the team felt more and more empowered over the course of those months to ask harder and harder questions. Mm-hmm. And that forced me to stand and, I, we would have a weekly one-on-one, like, mo, or excuse me, weekly, all hands, like most companies do. And it would force me to answer the same question over and over again with really bad answers and mm-hmm. hearing myself week after week, month after month, trying to do that eventually led me to say like, okay, something's gotta change. Yeah. I mean, it, but it was months and months of nothingness. And that that was like the most embarrassing thing was how long it took me to act.
0: I'm imagining that there's like maybe it's like Sunday and I'm just making these facts up. It's like Sunday. There's like an all hands Monday or something. You just think to yourself, like, I can't answer that question that way. again. like, again, like like you just kind of like it hits you somewhere where you're like, I can't keep keeping on in this way. Like there something has to give. But when you're sitting in that seat, The paralysis can be real, but I am looking for that knife edge of like, at some point the paralysis does end.
1: Yeah. So the biggest kind of like straw, I guess, that broke it, which is going to sound really stupid, but I'll just be honest with you, it's the thing that comes to mind Yeah. is we made a mistake, one of a thousand mistakes of signing a new office space. My decision, my mistake, one of many I made. And the new office space was much, much bigger. And the concept of going to that office space, which we had signed and seeing it empty was just like a punch in the face. Yeah. Like, like a bridge wake, too far. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, wake up. You're not just trying to make it through one more, all hands. You're going to move in here tomorrow or whatever it was like a week from then and you not only don't have the people to fill this, you want to cut people. By the way, you don't have any vision for how this thing will work because clearly the marketplace that we were running is not working. And so it was kind of like a physical manifestation of the bad decisions, Yep. right? And that was the thing that like probably forced me the most to just confront it.
0: I love that answer actually, because that makes perfect, (laughs) that also makes perfect sense to me. The, The physical manifestation is so visceral. It's like, I'm going to yeah. be standing in like a cavernous space saying the same answers again. And like, now something's really got to give. Like, I, even though, again, it, it, it sounds like just this in the scheme of things, like your whole business and cash you had in the bank and everything that the new office space is like just whatever. But it, it, it I can understand how for you that that makes it feel so Real, um, and then and then just for for just to put us in a timeline here, this is early twenty sixteen, right? Like you've got you've got this office space and stuff at that at that time.
1: Exactly, yeah. So we had just raised a thirty million dollar uh, series C at the end of twenty fifteen. Yep, and uh, the start of twenty sixteen was awesome. We had an amazing January twenty sixteen, and the growth was was great. It wasn't like world class, but like. He was going to authorize a $30 million series B, series C, which at the time was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the investors were happy. The board was happy. And I was terrified. I was terrified because we just did not understand what was driving the growth. The growth was just happening. And that to, to some people that have like never run a company before, never been responsible for growth, like that sounds like a humble brag and I swear it is not. It is, it is absolutely terrifying. Because you know that as soon as it stops, you don't understand the levers to make it start again. Mm -hmm. And that is like, you know, every single night I go to bed and barely sleep, you know, and we talked with the board very openly about that. And a challenge that I had, um, at that point in my career was we had some of the best marketplace and FinTech investors in the world on our board. And their answer was like, look, sometimes marketplaces, you know, when marketplaces have really hit. They grow for reasons you don't understand. And there's probably some truth to that. There is some truth to that. And I did a really poor job of communicating how confident I was that we understood none of the drivers necessary to grow the thing. It was just growing.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry I'm laughing, but but it is almost like (laughs) this like true that's like some real true cognitive dissonance as an entrepreneur. Like because when when you get positive feedback from team, peers, investors and yet you feel poorly about something i don't think there's a more like that's an extremely intense form of career cognitive dissonance um yep. so how soon before the all this pivot decisions and stuff is that like are we talking like you're feeling that and then the, the the ultimate pivot you need to do is like it's a year later it's six months later it's three months later like just to kind of help us understand that that piece
1: I started feeling that in probably August of 2015, Mm -hmm. and then we pivoted, uh, you know, Q1 of 2016. Um, So there was four, five, six months of that feeling. And it's funny, you know, the, the board, I remember doing some reference checks during the Series C on me and in some hires. And the board would consistently say that one of their biggest nitpicks with me was that, Many of the other founders they worked with had a reality distortion field that you know, the founders would think things were too positive, and they'd have to bring them down to earth. And they'd say, "Well, with Ryan, like he thinks it's too negative, and we need to get him more excited." Mm-hmm. And it's because I—it's not—it was not their fault. I was doing a poor job of explaining. Like, no, we tried these seventeen things; none of them worked. Here's how I can show you it didn't work. We just grew we grew in this other dimension that we weren't trying. And then when we did try that dimension, we didn't grow, we grew over here, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it kind of came across like I was almost trying to sandbag Mm -hmm. when in Mm -hmm. reality, like I was terrified, absolutely terrified.
0: And so that's the conversation happening at the board level. There's a lot of wisdom thrown around in blog posts and stuff about how your exec team is supposed to be your support and your rock and as a as a ceo you're never really supposed to feel lonely because you've got this team of besties around you um i always found that that was like never really felt that way (laughs) for me i like i i even though i felt like i had some really incredible people around so i'm curious what that was like for you you've got this board level conversation and those folks control a lot of financial flows and whatnot but then you've got these people who are supposed to be running the company with you What's that like? What's the exact conversation like?
1: You know, I agree with you, Jesse. Like, I'm hopeful that when I start something again, I will have the, maybe it's courage and capacity, I'm not sure what it is, to be open with my feelings with the executive team in a way that I was with the board. I was more open with the board about Mm -hmm. how scared I was than I was with the executive team. The executive team would not have said that I was like, pumping my chest up and saying everything's great. But I certainly, you know, look, I, I cried in front of the board. There were times when my hands were shaking in front of the board. Mm. I was, I was terrified. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Much more so.
0: Yeah.
1: And there were, you know, there was some amount of vulnerability, but I also, and maybe you both have felt like this too, so frequently being asked questions that put me in a mode where I felt like I needed to give an answer other than my own feelings. Like, here is a reason to believe. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it doesn't, I, I, I really didn't want it to come across as like a kind of like whitewashing or like, look over there. I was never, certainly never doing anything dishonest, but it was more, I kind of like disassociated my own fears from, well, this is the vision, this over here is the vision. This is why it could work. By the way, it could mm-hmm. work like that. Of course. It's just, I was terrified that it wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. and I was terrified that everything we were doing wasn't working. And so I was sitting there with a team of people who were working really hard and trying to celebrate their work and also trying to figure out like, well, how do I decide what to do here? Because this is, we're not on the right track. This isn't working.
0: Yeah. I also, in humility, maybe will somehow do better uh, on the next time around but i i felt often i had to be energizer bunny even with Mm -hmm. exec team like meaning fuel like provide the fuel like the fire was burning like continue providing the fuel and i think that's a little bit of what you might be communicating there but i've heard it's supposed to feel a little bit different than that a concern i had was always that the morale of the exec team was just like kind of a sieve through to the rest of the company and so it's my job to like keep them at a certain level because of that and so the question is did you feel that way and then follow on is did that exec team stick with you through the pivot just flashing forward because that's Mm -hmm. actually what i'm curious about like can you bring those folks with you through the pivot or was it like they were just like not there with you ultimately when the rubber met the road there
1: yeah, great, great question. So first, the metaphor, I guess, that I used with the exec team that I shared with them, and and I actually shared with most of us at the company, is I said, you know, the, the startup journey is a, a bit of a roller coaster. And if I take you as an executive team or a company on all of my ceilings up and down, they, I think that they tend to get amplified. Like when you see your CEO and he's like, oh my God, the world's crashing, we're going to fail tomorrow, or this is the greatest thing we're going to, you know, we're going to take over the world. That I think is an unhealthy roller coaster to see from a leader. Mm -hmm. And so I would share like different levels of emotion, meaning I would share more with the executive team than I would with the full company with the hope that they didn't have to go through that entire journey, that that wasn't a healthy journey to go through. So- the, the company would tell you that they that I, uh, I certainly was not representing that I felt super confident in everything or that I thought everything was working really well, but they also would be uh, and were a bit surprised to hear how emotionally difficult it was for me when I wrote about it publicly. Mm-hmm. To do it over again, I wish that I took the time to share in a more constructive way, mm-hmm. meaning I so frequently just defaulted to don't share my emotions that I brought less of my whole self and people felt less connected to me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think I missed an opportunity to build relationships, to build loyalty, which I'll come back to your question, did they stay, to build connection between them and the company because I kind of walled myself off metaphorically in terms of not sharing and literally.
0: And sometimes literally.
1: (laughs) By going in a a conference room. Yeah. And without exaggeration, sitting in there for a couple hours a day by myself. Yeah. Like I, and by the way, like extreme amount of shame that I did that. But I want people to know because I have talked to so many CEOs since that happened about their experience. Mm -hmm. And it is pretty remarkable how many people have like felt lost, didn't know what to do, but didn't know who to talk to and just like stuck staring at a wall. I wasn't like making a lot of like calculations in my head and like doing all, like I was just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And that was me like sitting and staring at a wall, frozen, just Mm -hmm. frozen. Mm -hmm. So a phrase that I use a lot, Eric, which I think is probably related to what you're saying is just appropriate vulnerability. And so I don't know that I totally subscribe to the theory of don't provide transparency when you don't have the answer. Because I think that there are some people at, or excuse me, I think that most people at a startup are okay with some level of ambiguity that mm-hmm. does not have answers, and that's why they join. Yep.
0: Um,
1: and when they're not, they're probably not right for the startup anyway. Having said that, the degree of the importance of the question that doesn't have answers and and whether or not the whole company can can um, go along with you on that ride, yeah, maybe more of a case-by-case. Case. The phrase though that I mentioned before of like appropriate vulnerability probably not appropriate for me to stand in front of the company and say, I am frozen guys. I don't know what to do. And I'm worried we are going to fail. And I'm worried that I am a bad CEO. Probably not, but I'm worried we haven't found the levers probably the right
0: thing. Makes sense. Yeah. But, um, I, I want to do a personal share here to, to give an example of something. I, uh, went through an acquisition process. I f- I found out I was pregnant early in a in a year in 2021, and then we made some really tough choices that led led to a massive layoff in the in the company, and also the company was acquired in the same year. Because we had made so many tough internal choices, and because it's 2021 and people are working remotely, I decided my pregnancy was like distraction for everyone. But the longer that it went on. <laughs> It was no good time to tell people. Well, actually now I'm 6 months pregnant. Actually, now I'm 7 months pregnant. Yeah. By the time the company got acquired, I was 9 months pregnant. I gave birth 10 days after we got acquired. Um wow. and and people and I told people after, like literally after. I was like, I'm going to give birth. <laughs> um wow. so so this is a share just to say that when I look back, I don't know if I would have done it differently because I can't know for sure. If the pregnancy would have made anyone think differently about acquiring the company or any differently about my layoff choice. So my personal story is a way of me challenging you by asking, do you really know if in hindsight you should have been more transparent? Like at the time, I'm guessing you were worried about real business impact, like investors not investing, employees quitting. And those are the visceral fears as a leader you have. Like you don't want to handicap your own business. So. It's a leading question, but I'm just curious if how you really know, would you be more transparent in hindsight if, or if you can add any color to that? Like, because in the moment you're worried about affecting your business, you know?
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, so I, probably my biggest regrets in that process was that I had not invested into infrastructure to help me before the process began. So that that's going back to like the therapist, the executive coach, the CEO group that I think is infrastructure that is just outrageously valuable for, uh, CEOs. And when you get into that time period, those difficult times, you can't take 30 hours to go find the therapist, right? right? It's, it's not just doing your first Google search. And by the way, they're gonna book it tomorrow. Like it's a lot of work to build that infrastructure in a way that works Mm -hmm. for you and now. I feel like it's a gift from God, the groups that I have there, the different resources that I have there. I wish that I had it back then. Mm-hmm. So on the point about like, would I have been more transparent? It's easy for me to say yes. And I think that the genuine answer is yes, but I don't know exactly when, how, where I would have done mm-hmm. it. I think what I really wish is that I had people to talk about that with in a way that I felt comfortable. And so I could have run by Ed Uh, Mm -hmm. Epitisi is my executive coach, and this is what I'm thinking about doing. Like, how does this land? I could have run it by the CEO group. I I could have dealt with some of my fears with a therapist, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it's easy as easy as like more transparent or less transparent. Like, I want the process, at least for me, to come to that conclusion with someone else.
0: Totally, I I think that's a really great point. I like how you're referring to that as like infrastructure. I don't know if you called it support infrastructure, but, but yes, like if you're going to build the plane as you're flying it, like, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to complete this analogy. Well, like you can't also like realize that you need to go to school for building the plane. Like you need to already have some onboard equipment, um, to do the incredibly hard task. To your point, actually, I did have an exec coach and some other great resources as I went through that and it made some of the choices a little bit easier. Not that I even made the choice as well. Who knows? I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm just we're all just kind of doing the best we can. But yeah, that's a really great answer. It's like the best you can do is build those decision toolkits for yourself as opposed to just being stuck in that moment.
1: Yeah, I, so I, I used to be a, a growth equity investor, um, so sometimes I use kind of wonky finance concepts, but I think of this as CapEx capex that you have to invest into, you know, often like months or years before it pays off. And you cannot do that in the moment, right? So it's not like a COGS thing. That's like an ongoing uh, uh, cost that you could pay to just like pick up the phone and call a therapist you've never met before. You're not going to get anything out of that. You have to invest in Mm -hmm. advance. And that's a thing that I regret. By the way, the concept of not sharing that you're pregnant resonates a ton, you know, very, very different situations, absolutely different, but like I had cancer going through that process. I did not share that. I shared that with new investors that were going to come into the company and our yeah. board. I did not share with the yeah. company. I did not share with people. The first time most of them learned about it was when I wrote about it on Twitter. Wow. And that I think was, I don't know. I, I'd love to look you in the eyes and tell you like clear cut. I would have done that differently. In hindsight, maybe, I, I don't know. I just... I felt overwhelmed at the concept of having forty conversations about my cancer.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, it begs another question: the cancer, of the pregnancy, beg a question that I that around is there any division between a founder's personal life and business? Like, to a degree, I'm I'm really not someone who believes work life balance is even something to strive for. You should strive for like balance in general. Like, like just you should strive for to be a balanced person and do what makes you feel good. Yada yada. But like, but is there? Personal life. Do you do you have a personal life as a founder? Like, is there some is there any line? Is there any health condition or anything that isn't a part of the business? Um, and I think cancer really draws that into starker profile even than a pregnancy. I don't know if you have opinions on that.
1: I don't know. It's it's loaded, frankly. It's <laughs> <don't know>. really, <laughs> really loaded. I'm aware. <laughs> um I yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I became a more effective and inspiring leader when I shared more about my personal life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for the first call it five years of being a CEO and the first prior 10 years of my career, give or take, I not proud of this, but like more than one person at every company referred to me as like, is he a robot? Oh. Like, cuz I never shared anything about no one ever saw me drink. No one ever heard anything about my personal life. No one ever like, you might know that I'm married, but like nothing else about what I do outside of work. Mm -hmm. And I always tried separate the two. I think that that made it harder to connect with me and feel inspired. And so the feedback that I got, you know, in the last five years of being CEO was dramatic when I was much more vulnerable and open about my personal life was much, much better than it was in the prior five years. Mm -hmm. Um, so Part of that maybe I would have been sharing cancer, but I think more of it would have been like sharing the pictures behind me, um, Mm, which are about my kids, right? And bringing my kids by the office and talking about, I do play basketball Mm. on the
2: side and I like that. And, you know, like that kind of stuff. I've played basketball with Ryan. He's very good. He's excellent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just want to share more with you with the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, Feel free to share any other details about the the pivot and some of the hard choices there. As uh, sprinkle them in as as you feel relevant. But I actually am interested in skipping to the moment in twenty nineteen where you de- decide to share the thread that I referenced at the beginning. And people should all go check out this thread. I think if you just Google Ryan Keldbeck and and probably pivot, you probably will we'll yeah, link to it show it. Yeah, we'll link to it, but. Deciding to share that is an interesting choice. And at this time at the time, the company is a com- like you know, there's there's employees and everything. What's the reaction to the share? Yeah. So we're talking a lot about 2016, and that's a really tough time. And just incredible respect to you for weathering that and getting and also getting the company through it as a leader. But then there's a moment where you decide to share, and I'm curious your thought going into that and also the response, not from the general public. I'm curious about the response internally. Like what's it like to work at circle up when that comes out?
1: (laughs) Um, I'm laughing because uh, it was, it was very split. I mean, this was not the only uh, piece of content or tweet storm that I put out that had mixed reactions internally. I forget how you phrased it earlier in this conversation, Jesse, but like, I got to a point in terms of my loneliness as CEO where I started to share things externally because I just didn't see another path to feeling healthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I, I, so I'm going to back up and just give you the reason why I shared this. I um, would so frequently be in conversations with other CEOs. You know, you go grab coffee with someone or whatever and like, they just tell me how they were crushing it. <laughs> totally. And every single time, I just feel so bad about myself and so lonely and it was horrible. And by the way, this would even be happening, I'd even feel that way when I knew it wasn't true. Like I remember there were multiple <laughs> times when VCs would <laughs> set me up to have conversations with their CEOs and they would say, this company's really struggling, it may not make it in the next couple of months. I'd go meet with the CEO, the CEO would tell me that they were crushing it. <laughs> they, co- they, quote, they quote, couldn't keep up with the growth, and the CEO would be bounced like four months later. This happened multiple times. And even though I knew that was the truth, I would still feel really bad about myself.
0: Isn't that There would always
1: be a reason that I was failing. Like I just raised a big round, but you know what? They just hired Eric and right. Jesse. They right. just hired this one. They just did this thing. And like, I just feel bad about myself. I'd see wow. a billboard on 101 or 280. And I know that that company couldn't afford that billboard and was wasting money. I'd still feel bad about myself. Just like, sickness that I have. And so I kind of got to the point of doing that for many years where I just felt so lonely. Yeah. So lonely. My my wife, um, she's smarter than I am. She uh, was the CMO at a uh, at tech company called Coursera until she stepped down in the fall. And so she's, you know, very experienced in startups and everything else. And she'd be the first one to admit like that we had a hard time talking about it because she struggled to relate to the difference between CMO and CEO. Just yeah. like when you're the founder, like the weight that you feel, so I felt lonely, yeah. and I kind of just began typing publicly about my feelings, and I found that when I wrote, I felt better. Yeah, and it honestly, and this can be really hard for people to believe. Like, it honestly was not some grand scheme of like attracting users or building a brand name or anything else, I just felt better about myself when I was able to get it out there. there there's, you know, some phrase I'm going to butcher now, but like things that you feel most shame about to talk about those. So you, you know, it helps to lower the not of shame and lessen the depression that comes from that shame. Um, in this case, like the loneliness and the shame that I felt from some of our failures or some of my own feelings and whatnot, um when everyone else around me seemed to be just like talking about how they were crushing it that led me to write a series of these posts and one of them was about the pivot when i would write these posts we had more than a couple teammates you know be like what are you doing <laughs> why, and, why? And how do
0: you get that do they say that directly to you or is this like you have to hear from others like how how do you get this feedback i'm just morbid curiosity the first <laughs> the Tell first
1: me. the first couple times um they came to me directly then there was and a slap <laughs> well uh we ended up yeah yeah they stopped coming to me um and so they set like, up a, it
0: doesn't make it stop
1: <laughs> it doesn't yeah so they said i mean you know my co-founder and our chief of staff emma were the two people that like i felt had a balanced perspective on what was good for my mental health versus the company. Sure. And I would listen to them. Uh, Rory overruled me on a couple, my co-founder Rory overruled me on a couple things uh, that I wanted to do. Uh, Yeah, but they ended up creating a Slack channel internally that would automatically pipe in my tweet storms and tweets. And like people would like, you know, not Be psyched about it or whatever. Um, and
0: you could see that, right? Like,
1: no, I was never oh, invited to do it. I oh, never, never, <laughs> never got the <in> my... <laughs> oh
0: my gosh! But, but like, we can assume you don't have to answer this, but we can assume you're getting some screenshots with like the emojis and stuff that people are using. <laughs> I,
1: I kid you not, I never got a screenshot, oh, and wow. I think that everyone, uh, I would have knew sent that you I, screenshots. I
0: didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think most of it was pretty good nature. I think that there was a lot more confusion than like actual anger. Like I think if you go through what I did, what I wrote, I don't think that people at the company would say that it hurt the company. It was more like, what? Why? Yeah. Really? Is this something that you're... But I think in retrospect, everyone that had concerns or questions, I think ended up coming around to, oh, this actually is good for the company. Like this level of transparency... You know, we had investors, we had PR, we had employees who joined Circle Up and said they read something about like the pivot, they read something like this and they liked that transfer, so they want to be a part of that.
0: That's amazing. That's a potent reminder that everything is a selection filter at the end of the day. Like yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, and everything, just everything is like, I mean that in the good way and the bad way. Like sometimes you filter out people you didn't want to by accident, you know, and sometimes, but then other times the sharing though, creates a filter. Like blandness is not a filter. And then you don't actually, you know, create uh, necessarily a brand or something for people to decide around.
1: It's such a good phrase. Like you're right. Everything does become a filter. I remember we had an investor one time that we were talking to about um, our next round. And they said, you know what you need to do, Ryan? You just need to walk into the investor's office and say, we're raising money. You can be a part of this train not." and then walk out five minutes later. And that like, like, that's like
0: Silicon Valley. That's like the shows. That's like what they say on the 100%,
1: <laughs> 100%. And I'm like, have you read any of my stuff? Like, do you think that's consistently my brand name? Like, do you think that's where I'm going for here? You know, so that's a selection filter that like some investors might actually like, but those are not investors that are going to like me. Yeah. Um, I'm not who I am. And so, yeah, like the stuff that you see publicly, like, I think it kind of represents who I am. And then some people say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to work with that person. That's good. Now we know.
0: What's the name of that Slack channel? Do we know?
1: I don't, I don't remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the name would really say a lot. Um...
1: (laughs) It might have been Ryan's tweets. It might have been Ryan's tweets or something like that. That's pretty
0: benign. That's pretty benign. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, this is, we're talking about 2016. We're talking about 2019. Uh, here we're sitting and it's 2023 right now, but you've continued, you've continued to kind of grow and sharing more things online and stuff. So that's certainly not in the past, but is there anything you you do want to share about how these experiences four, five, six, seven years on are shaping your entrepreneurial career now? Like, uh, just a little bit about how some of these things sit with you over time, uh, because we are talking about stuff that's just, um, you know, many years ago now.
1: I got to say, it feels so much healthier to me today. My life feels so much healthier. My, now I'm not a founder right now. I will be a founder again. Mm, But after I began sharing this stuff, like the journey just felt so much better. And I've had, I've had so many CEOs come to me since I started doing that, like saying that they wanted to write something similar, but they didn't know how, they didn't have the courage, they didn't whatever, whatever. There's always a reason that they couldn't. And I feel for them because like, I don't think I had the courage to do any of it. I didn't think I had an option. I just felt completely at the lowest of lows. I couldn't get any lonelier. And so this was my way of not feeling lonely. It was not some grand like courage. It Mm. was just- I got nothing else. Um, But because I was kind of like, I felt almost pushed into it by myself, that makes sense. I feel more free and open and I attract other people who want to work with me, who want to have those kind of conversations, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? Who don't want to just kind of BS each other about how everything's good. And so I'm able to now work with people who are willing and able to have a more open and honest dialogue about the reality around us. And that has been an amazing gift for me. And I think I operate much better in that environment. Yep. I, I said to someone a couple months ago, I'm not making a joke. This is the truth. I think Twitter was better for my career than my degree from Stanford. Mm. Like in terms of what added a lot of value to my life and allowed me to get new opportunities and everything else. Like, it has
2: become because of what I've written on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I want you to tell um, the story about your resignation um, or your stepping down or, you know, kind of evolution to chairman. When, when you talk about when you realized that was the right time and, and really just what advice you have for other entrepreneurs who are also, you know, seven years in, et cetera, and think about, hey, is this the right next next step for me? So the first thing I would say is you're not alone if you're thinking about stepping down. I
1: thought about it for years. And during that process of thinking about it for years, I went to a, um, uh, the CEO group that I talked about, it's called leaders in tech, which I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of, and I cannot tell you how many sessions we had. We met for four hours once a month, how many sessions we have, where I'd be on the way over there and I'd be thinking to myself, no one else feels the way I feel, and I'd get there, everyone else would share and it'd come around to me. And half of them had said something similar. Yeah. Someone just raised a huge round and now they're sweating and they're saying, I'm, I'm, I just trapped myself. I don't want to be here. I want to get out. I want to get out. In my case, I had been working on that before that announcement for much longer than a year. I mean, it, it took me a long time to be able to get to that point. Now part of it probably six months of it was me having the courage to say anything to a board member. But there was more than a year of me negotiating it with a board, the board trying to convince them that it was the right thing to do, trying to lay out how I could do it and sticking to my guns. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the conversations went some version of this, like, I, I need to go. Like, I can't do this anymore. Well, why? Well, I'm really, really stressed out. Oh, totally. Tell me about the stress. Well, I just feel like I'm doing too much. Oh, great. We should just get you some more help mm, then.
0: Totally. Fuck.
1: Okay. A couple months later. Well, I'm really stressed out. Why? Well, like every month I sell stock, uh, you know, my retirement stock should I pay for my bills. Oh, totally. Let's give you a raise then so you don't feel financial pressure. Mm, there was always a reason to like keep me in there until my management coach finally just like grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Ryan, like, until you stop giving them reasons, they're going to keep trying to solve this for you. Yep. Yeah. And eventually I had the courage to say, there's nothing I'm leaving, I'm going to leave in a year. so hard. The, yeah. And the, that was hard.
0: I found in, in your, you're saying this, like there's just a, such a different, um, tenor to a communication where you want to, where there's no room for being convinced otherwise. And, yeah. and something that I think is like really lost. For, well i'll speak for myself sometimes in the CEO, I'll for i'll speak for myself only it's supposedly up to you <laughs> well like things are, like you're the ceo things are supposedly up to you but so often i phrase things as a suggestion um and yep. it's like to whom who's the yep. fucking suggestion for yeah yeah <laughs> like, yes and so basically like let me ask you the question what sort of mental work do you need to do where you're like this is not a suggestion. I'm going to walk in this room and I have an announcement to make. The CEO of the company has an announcement to make. They're stepping down and the CEO has an announcement to make. We're doing a layoff. Like, It's it's like, what is that tenor change of like the decision? Like, I'm not here to rationalize it. I'm here to tell you what's happening.
1: You would have saved me. I'm, I mean, I'm being serious, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. you. you would have saved me a year plus of my life. Like, It just took me a long time to recognize exactly what you just said. I think part of it is, and maybe this resonates too, like when you're in the CEO's thought, like, it just feels like you're there to serve. It feels like you are indebted to everyone else so much that you don't want to let them down. You know, whatever gene related to persistence exists is what will keep you in the seat. I mean, probably like both of you, I've had... 50, 100 people in my life tell me I'm the most persistent that person they've ever met, I have the most grit they've ever met. I'm sure that's true for you and a lot of other CEOs. Mm-hmm. And that persistence is a double edged sword. And in this case, like that combined with my feeling of like being serving them and serving like the investors who trusted me and gave me yeah. money and the team yeah. who trusted me with their career, that like I didn't feel the right to be able to say, no, this is it. It yeah. always came across as more than a suggestion. Me trying to position it as like, I think this is be better for the company. Oh, no, 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 Ryan, you're the best person to lead this. So let's just get you the support need. you need. Let's mm-hmm. get, with me a sabbatical, you want to take two weeks off? That's, mm-hmm. That'll be a refresher. It's like, no, that's not what I wanted, but now I'm going to leave for another, until the next board meeting three months from now, and then we'll talk it again about it again there. Um, and that was my failure. It was not them. It was me being ineffective in my communication and not doing exactly what you just said, Jesse. And, and just like, this isn't a suggestion. I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And we need to make a plan for me to leave.
0: Yeah, it's it's a I, I, I don't have the answer. But I, I do uh, think that there's a persistent there's a culture as well that might be shifting a bit. But the concept that a real entrepreneur, the a real entrepreneur never quits. Yep. Ever. Okay. There's yep. just like that, no matter what people say, no matter, and also no matter what mental health conversation is going on, no matter what is said, I still believe that that is like just woven into yep. the belief system so deeply. So for me, I had to switch to believing, actually believing That the decisions to sell the business, everything were actually the best for the employees and investors. Like that, that it was actually up to me as a CEO. There was so much like psyching myself up, but it's actually a little bizarre in hindsight. Like that is actually what the CEO job is: is making the decisions for the company and making. And and arguably, you deciding that maybe someone else should be in that seat. Arguably, is a decision for the company, not just for yourself. Um. Anyway, I'm just kind of reflecting. Like, I just think I think most CEOs are in that spot where you just feel like there is no recourse here.
1: I think it's amazing how many CEOs I've talked to, including some pretty prominent ones that don't just say it as an offhanded comment, but like reach out proactively to say, I need to get out. How can I do this? It's, it's astounding. Now, is a slight tangent, but it's come back to what you just said. I think VCs have a really powerful microphone and sometimes that is used for some amazing things. The microphones that they can have can help with pattern recognition and understanding how to build companies, et cetera. But there is a dark side to that power um, that comes out sometimes. And, and one of the areas I think it comes out is exactly this topic, that this concept of like the real uh, founder, real never quits. Like I think that that persists largely from comments that are made, not solely, but like largely from comments that are made by a lot of VCs. Mm-hmm. And it's just so easy for them to say that, that's right? Awesome. Like they're sitting there with a salary that's 20X what yours is and sitting on carry that's spread across 25 companies that are or 50 companies that don't have it all based in one. It's so easy for them to say, never quit. If they never quit, they will make unbelievable money and have a great lifestyle. And if sure. you never quit, like you could kill it. You, yeah, I mean, it could be really dark. Yeah. So, but
0: your your story highlights something else that is I think just kind of bizarre and I feel about myself as well, which is like you didn't abandon everything about the business. Like like quitting is um also defined so rigidly yeah. that it leaves no room. Like I like for me I felt like quitting was even pursuing an acquisition conversation, I thought that was quitting. Like that's yep. literally the job. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um. So, so I found that actually bizarre looking back is how many things I thought fit into quitting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It, it's a, there's a lot of things that are unhealthy about the psyche of the founder and CEO. And I think that is one, by the way, that translated for me to the pivot as well. Like mm-hmm. now I think I have a much healthier understanding of what a pivot is. But at the time, I felt like it was quitting.
0: That was quitting, totally, like, totally. Yeah, totally. And it,
1: no, it wasn't why? working, literally why am job. I pounding yeah. my, yeah, I'm pounding my head against the wall there. We need to change tact, but I couldn't get my head around that at the time.
0: All right, so we have about just a few minutes left. I hope you don't feel like I'm ending on too much of a zinger, but I do want to ask <laughs> about your decision to post an email Yeah, of feedback that to, to an investor, but that felt like a very brave decision, but also a very specific one, a little bit more than just sharing your own personal experiences. So just give me in your head around that decision as well.
1: So loneliness was just a huge theme for me. And loneliness came about in conversations with other CEOs that couldn't be vulnerable. It came about when I would Google, you know, What's it like to pivot a business? And the only thing that came back were just like amazing stories like Slack. By the way, the last couple of years, I've, uh, as uh from Adjacent has invited me to, to Stanford to do a class on pivots with the founder of, uh, of Slack, which was funny because I mm. talked about, um, yeah, they're, they're an example of amazing pivot. Um, mm-hmm. and, and mine was pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, when I kind of would go through each stage or, you know, each decision or emotion, like, I wanted to not feel like I was the only one struggling. Mm -hmm. And one of the most sensitive things for me, one of the things that I felt the most lonely with and the least safe to talk about with others was the conflict that I had with a single board member. Mm -hmm. Most of our, the, the rest of the board members I've ever had, I've gone along with incredibly well. Like they've all reached out about other jobs and, uh, you know, opportunities and working together. And we have, and that's been amazing with one board member in particular. It was one of the worst relationships in my life. Yeah. And I never felt safe talking about it with another CEO. Never. I always felt like I was the failure and that brought with shame, which made me close down, which made the whole thing less healthy mm-hmm. and to be clear. I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes in the relationship. But the more important thing of whether I was like right or wrong in any given situation was I didn't feel like I could talk about it with anyone. Yeah. And so I wanted to put it out there to help other people see like, yes, yeah, sometimes the relationships just suck. Yeah. You know, I, I, the, one of the books I love, it's over behind me, is um, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things uh, by Ben Horowitz, And in it, There's just the thing, the quote that I remember more than anything else was he posted an email from Mark to him saying, do your fucking job. (laughs) So good. And I remember that so viscerally because like what a gift to the world to show that you two had a really unhealthy interaction. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that the world's crumbling. It's just that interaction sucked. Yep. Because if I was on the other end of that email That would have scarred me for life, Jesse. Like I would have never gotten over like. Yeah. If Eric had told me, do your fucking job. (laughs) And so I wanted to post this uh, email that I sent to this specific board member because I wanted other people to see like, hey, we had a really dysfunctional relationship. It didn't work. And you may be in a similar situation. That doesn't mean that I was right, and he was wrong or vice versa. It just means like, this is part of life. So let's share some sunlight on this. And you may go through it too, and you're not alone. That's why I did it.
0: I think the, when you share, I'm sure you know people take from it what they need. You know I mean? That's the p- yeah. purpose of sharing as well. And so for me reading that, my takeaway was kind of subtle, which is I have, I, in my whole entrepreneurial career so far, I have one investor who I can think of that I have more negative interactions with. It didn't occur to me to ever provide direct feedback because... I also felt as though it's only a bad look for me like like mm-hmm. um yep. it just it's, there's only everything's only negative for me, like I'm the one who's supposed to fix all the problems, but when reading your email, it's very constructive, so something you know uh, people send you know people will slam people for anything, but your email's very constructive, it's very detailed. it's not just general and slanderous in any way, and it just occurred to me like, wow, i I guess there's a world where I provide someone feedback. Like, like, like it didn't even occur to me. So, so in that way, thank you. Uh, I haven't done it yet, so I'll let you know when I get the courage. But I just think that when you put things out into the world, you can't tell the consequence. And um, I think for each person who's receiving that information, the consequence is different. And that's what's cool about it.
1: The mission of Circle Up is to help entrepreneurs to thrive by giving them the capital and resources they need. And so I was in a mode for you know, 10 years of trying to help entrepreneurs. And I knew that other entrepreneurs had dealt with this investor in a similar way or had dealt with some similar challenges. And I didn't just want to help them. I want to help any founder who was dealing with crap and just, just from a mental health standpoint, you're not alone. But I thought that there would be a cost to that going back to your earlier point of like creating a screen so that people opt in to like, knowing what it's really like to work with Ryan, Mm -hmm. you know, what I wanted people to understand is like, look, I, I dealt with a fair amount of crap. I'm not sending this email with like one example. This was examples over years, but like, you know, this was my limit. And if that limit's not something that you're okay with, and yeah, we probably shouldn't work together. I ended up getting positive feedback from it, but you know, I haven't raised my money for my next company yet. So when I do, we'll see, we'll see if they opt out.
0: I personally believe it's just like you're saying, a new selection filter that, it, that, yeah. there's, that there's plenty of people who are, you know, who have, uh, funds and whatnot, who will see that behavior and, and respect it. And also know that that line is pretty darn high, <laughs> like your line wasn't yeah. low, it wasn't like some petty line. So anyway, of course that's me. Um, but, uh, I just really respect your approach and in putting information out in the world and letting people take from it what they need to.
2: Thank you. Ryan, you've been in the arena for over a decade now and uh, for, for what will be a long time to come. Thank you so much for, for sharing your battle scars and your, your stories and, and lessons with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me and truly Jesse and Eric, thank you both for doing this podcast. This is an important one, uh, maybe meaning the, the series that you guys do and, and how you talk about these topics. I think it's just a wonderful gift to the community. So thank you.
0: Awesome, thank you as well. Thanks for listening to In The Arena, If you enjoyed the conversation, please like, subscribe, and share by leaving us a review and telling everyone you know. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at InTheArena_Pod. underscore pod. We'd love your suggestions on who else has an intense experience to share.